I want to ask you to turn to God's Word to Matthew chapter 9, please, this evening. Matthew chapter 9. And we'll break into this chapter at verse 27. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, reading through to verse 34. So let's read the Word of God prayerfully, carefully, and take note what the Lord would have to say. Let's hear the Word of our God. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed Him, crying and saying, Thou Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man knoweth. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all the, that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. Amen. And we know the Lord will bless His Word to all our hearts. Let's just come before the Lord again as God's people. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer, praying along with me, and praying that the Lord will speak and use His Word. We believe, we believe that the Lord's able to deliver sinners, and we have to cry unto Him, Help thou our unbelief. So let's just unite together once again in prayer. Heavenly Father and eternal God, we come now to the preaching of thy truth and thy word. We pray for the stillness of heaven to come. We pray that thou wouldst settle every heart. Lord, we do believe. We believe that thou art able to deliver sinners through the blood of Christ's cross. And yet, Lord, we cry, help thou, our unbelief. We pray that thou would come, O God, in mighty Holy Ghost power and Take this preacher, O God, into thine hand. Forgive me of my sin. I am unworthy. Lord, I need that fresh cleansing, the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Take me, O God, and use me this night. Use my faculties, what I have, and all the weakness and my inability. And yet, Lord, I pray that thou would fill me with thy Spirit, knowing that thy grace is sufficient. Sufficient to stand and preach to this assembled people. And we pray that thou would take the word and that thou would apply it to the hearts of those who are gathered, those who are assembled amongst us who are not yet saved. We pray for our children. We pray for our young people. We pray for older ones who sit, O oh God, here and have maybe sat for many a year. They're in the evening and the twilight years of life. And we pray that thou would have mercy upon them. And I would grant unto them a mighty deliverance, even this evening. Bless the internet ministry. Take the word, O God, let it run. Let it a free course, that thou might be glorified in the salvation of the lost, in the encouragement of thy dear people. O God, do us good. Shut out every distracting thought. And give us help 
or may we be conscious of thy presence. For we ask this all in Christ's precious and wonderful name. Amen. Matthew Henry said, we have in this chapter remarkable instances of the power and pity of the Lord Jesus, sufficient to convince us that He is both able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by Him, and is as willing as He is able. Now, to place these events in their context, the portion that we have read, we find from the preceding chapter that the Gadareans, resenting the loss of their swine, they urged Christ to depart out of their coasts. So he did just that. He entered into a ship and he crossed to, uh, the Sea of Galilee and came into the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is designated there in verse number 1 as his own city because it was the principal place of his residence and from which he conducted a lot of his ministry in that region. In the opening verse of this chapter, we have a clear display both of the Lord's justice and of His mercy. When the Gadarenes bid Him depart from their coast, not only did He depart, but He departed never to return again. The Son of God will not tarry where He is not wanted, and that is something that those who continue to reject Christ ought to take note of. In righteous judgment, he forsakes those places and those people where he is neglected. Those who become weary of him will soon find that they will no longer be bothered by him. But as coming again into Capernaum, we see that he extends his mercy. Though the Gadarenes, they spurned him by their unbelief and the hardness of their heart, this brought again the Savior to the needy people of Capernaum, and His mercy would be manifested among them. Having returned, He enters into a house and begins to teach. And it's not long until it's noised abroad that Christ is in the house. The multitudes throng to hear Him, including the scribes and the Pharisees, and the place is packed. Verses 2 to 8 of this chapter read of four men who bring a man sick of the palsy, to lay him at the feet of the Savior. They could not heal him, but they believed that Jesus could, and so they did all that they could to get this man to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord first forgives this man his sins, and then in a demonstration of his person and his power, the Lord answers the internal questioning of the scribes and Pharisees, and he tells that man to rise, take up his bed, and walk. Leaving the house of Savior, he makes his way to the place where the custom tax was paid. And this is thought to be at the shore where the predominant industry of fishing was based. The Lord had a purpose in going for a morning stroll, for while he was there, he called Matthew to leave his profession and follow him. We learn from the other Gospels that Christ went back to Matthew's house, and the new disciple well, he put on a feast, a means to reach others and introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, like a lingering bad odor, the scribes and Pharisees were there, and once again, Christ disarms them and dismisses their accusations and field entrapments with great wisdom. 
as this was happening. You read in verse 18 that a ruler of the synagogue, he comes in and he falls at Christ's feet and begins to worship him. It's Jairus and he's in desperate need of the Lord's mercy. His only daughter of 12 years of age has died. And Matthew, he really records a summary of the events that we have in greater detail in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel. Jairus asks Christ to come to his house and place his hand upon his little daughter to raise her up again. And Christ gets up to follow that man. And as he's going, you know the story, as he's going, a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and is instantaneously healed. Christ goes on to Jairus' house and, and there he tells that little girl, he reaches out, takes her by the hand and tells her to rise up. And Christ gives life back to the dead. In the space of a number of hours, the Lord has demonstrated his power over demons, disability, disease and death. But the day is not over. Christ's mercy abounds. He is plenteous in mercy. And I just thought to myself how the Gadarenes missed out on his mercy by the rejection of him. Was there not a sick girl in the land of the Gadarenes? Was there not individuals who were blind and dumb, those possessed by devils, and yet by the hardness of their heart, by their uh, unbelief, they rejected Christ. They, They bit him out of their coast. And in rejecting Christ, they spurned his offer of mercy. From Jairus' house, we read that the Savior departs. Here at the opening of verse 27, and that brings us to the portion we're going to consider this evening. Under the heading, the blind see and the dumb speak. The blind see and the dumb speak. Firstly, consider with me the maladies in this portion. The maladies that we have here in this portion, two were blind and one was dumb. And we're going to deal with each malady in turn. Firstly, the blind. Verse 27, two blind men, and when he was come, uh, and when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Now we read often in the Gospels about Christ's healing of the blind. In fact, more miracles, four in total out of the 17 healing miracles, are concerning the blind. The healing of blindness by the Lord Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy concerning His Messiahship. Just to give you a couple of references concerning that, we read in Isaiah 29 and the verse 18, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. We read then in Isaiah 35 and the verses 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. See, all those miracles would be the distinguishing marks of the Messiah. He would cause the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the blind to see, the dumb to speak, and would give life to the dead. 
And we see all this happening here in chapter 9. And where the scribes and the Pharisees, not so blinded by their self-righteousness and proud legalism, they would have seen this. They would have seen Him to be the Messiah. But though they had eyes, they did not see. When the disciples of John the Baptist came to the Lord Jesus to ask if He was Messiah, the Lord told them to return to John and tell them what they had witnessed that the blind see. And so the healing of blindness was, it was a characteristic, a distinguishing mark of the Messiahship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now blindness, as you well know, is a very fitting description of sin and the effect that it has upon the individual. And so often, sin is described in Scripture in terms of blindness. Take, for example, Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 17. And there we read, They shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Sin causes men to spiritually grope at noonday as the blind that gropeth in the darkness. Sin puts man in darkness just as blindness does. And when one is in darkness, you cannot discern things around. And that is spiritually true of sinners. They cannot discern their own spiritual condition, nor the offense that their sin has caused to a holy God, nor the danger they are in. Or they, nor can they spiritually perceive that Christ is the only one who can save them. The sinner cannot behold the beauty of Christ, and therefore they have no desire for Him. They are ignorant to these things because of the darkness of sin that shrouds the soul. Now this may be your condition this evening. The God of this world has blinded your mind, young person, it may be that the devil has shone the bright lights of the world into your spiritual eyes and you are blinded to the things of God. The retina of your spiritual understanding has been scarred by the sinful pleasures of this world and there's a dark haze upon the center of your soul that you cannot and have no spiritual perception for Christ and what He has done for sinners. You know what it's like. Someone shines a bright light in your eyes and that dark haze comes upon it. You're blinded to anything else. You can't discern. And the devil has maybe blinded your eyes with the sinful pleasures of this world. Like the Philistines put out the eyes of Samson, so sin has put out your spiritual eyes. And you have no perception of the danger you are in, the sin and the offense that it has caused to a holy God, and that Christ alone is the only Savior for your sinful soul. Though the light of the gospel shines all around you, even this evening in common grace, you stand in need of new power of sight to behold the Lamb in all His glory. These two men were blind. But secondly, we have, and we read tonight, about a man who was dumb. In verse 32, our attention is drawn to something by the word behold. And as they went out, behold, the two blind men who were healed, many think here they brought this dumb man to Christ. 
Now the word here for dumb is also translated in Hebrew, or sorry, Matthew chapter 11 verse 5 as deaf. So it's probable that this man was deaf as well as dumb. Now this man's dumbness was the effect of his being possessed with a devil as we are told. Matthew Henry, he said this, when the devil gets possession of a soul, it is made silent as to anything that is good. Dumb in prayer, prayers and praises, which is the devil, the devil is a sworn enemy to. This man's tied tongue was symbolic of the spiritual bondage that he was in. Now it's true that Satan keeps the sinner under the tyranny of his diabolical reign. Yet sin also has a binding power upon the soul of man. And while the exact phrase, spiritual bondage, does not appear in the Bible, Scripture does speak of believers, or sorry, unbelievers being in bondage to their sin. For example, we think of Acts chapter 8 and the verse 32, and there it speaks of the bond of iniquity. Christ himself spoke of those who are the servants or the slaves of sin. And evil has a way of taking hold of a person's life, of binding him of the sinful chains of their sinful and wicked habits that are hard to break. The reality is that the will of the sinner is in bondage, bound by an inability to do anything that pleases God, bound only to do that which is sinful and that which is self as the chief end. So man speaks of possessing free will. And he seeks to demonstrate that by doing that which he pleases. But God says of man in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 22, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. And therefore, sinful man is not at liberty. He is not at freedom. Now, how do we define liberty? Liberty is defined as the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. And that freedom is something. That spiritual freedom is something that you sinner know nothing of. You're in bondage. Yes, not only the tyrannical reign of the devil, and not only your sin binds you, but your own will is bound. And therefore, you're not at liberty. And so we have the maladies here in this portion. And they're representative. They illustratively set before us the condition of the sinner. One who is blinded, one who is bound. But secondly, in this portion, we notice the mercy. We have the maladies, but we also have the, the mercy. Now, it's obvious that these maladies of these men, they create a great need in their lives. And with that sense of need, there came a desire to have the need alleviated. Now we see this especially with the blind men. We read that they followed Christ. Now that's a hard job in itself for those who are blind. But they were conscious of their need, and so they struggled on against all the natural difficulties and those things which might be a stumbling block in their way, just to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they follow, they cry out unto the Lord. They're bold. They're not shy. They're not retiring. They're not slinking away in the corner. But they have this great sense of need, and that only Jesus Christ can alleviate them of their need. 
No doubt they had heard about Christ. It is suggested they were even among that crowd there at Jairus' house and have been aware of the, 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 the resurrection of that little girl to life again. And they had come to a knowledge that he was able to meet them at the very point of their needs. A little later, through the experience of their own healing, they knew that Christ was able to meet the need of the dumb man too. Hence the reason why they brought him to the Lord. But here they are. And there's these two men and they're in earnest and they're seeking healing from the Lord Jesus Christ. They cried out as we read there, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. That's what they cried. Have mercy on us. See, along with their sense of need and the knowledge of what Christ could do for them, they also had the right attitude. They knew that they were undeserving, and therefore they asked Him for mercy. Well, that's something we never read of a Pharisee asking for in the New Testament. They never come to Christ, and they ever ask Him for mercy. They thought they were deserving. They thought that they had earned what God had to give and that there was nothing in them that was worthy of wrath. But that was not the case. Joseph Parker, he commented on these blind men, they did not cry, be just to us. Sinners need the mercy of God. If we got what was just, we would all be in the caverns of the damned. I love the way that a man described mercy. Mercy is not injustice, but mercy is non-justice. In other words, justice is not executed upon us, but it is executed upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore from us is withheld, withheld what we deserve. Mercy is non-justice. It is not injustice. And these men, they recognized they need the mercy of the Lord. But even though they cry out with the right attitude out of a sense, a deep sense of their need, and they cry out to the right person, Christ doesn't answer them. And that's what struck me. He doesn't answer them straight away. Outwardly, it would appear that the Savior pays no attention to them. None at all. No reply, no response. He just keeps on walking into the house, thought to be Peter's house here in Capernaum, and he just lets them keep on pouring out their soul unto him, crying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Now, this is in contrast to when blind Bartimaeus cried out. You remember that account there in Mark's gospel? What happened as soon as Bartimaeus cried out? We read there, and Christ stood still. That gospel of activity, when you always read the word immediately or anon, Christ is here, there, everywhere, always going. Bartimaeus calls out, and immediately Christ stands still and addresses him, but not here. Christ walks past these men, and they need to follow on. And why, why does he do this here? We need to ask ourselves these questions and, and think, why does Christ do that? Why does Christ give no reply initially, no response, as if He is completely indifferent to them? Well, I believe it is to draw out from them their genuineness, 
to intensify their awareness of their great need of Him. It's a way of pulling them out from the fickle and the superficial. If they were really earnest about this, they would persist. They would not turn away until the Lord heals thee. Now, sinner, an application to you. It may be for weeks. It may be for months. You have felt the great need of your sin and your spiritual maladies and what they have brought upon you. You're engulfed by darkness. You're bound by sin. And you know you need mercy and not justice. You have a knowledge of Christ according to the truth. And you cry out to Him. And yet He has given you no answer. And there you are. You might ask, well, surely does the Word not say whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you say to yourself, why has he not answered? Why do I yet sit in spiritual darkness and in spiritual bondage with no light to cheer my soul? Why does he do that? Well, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's deepening the realization, your realization of your need of him. He is testing your seriousness concerning this matter of salvation, that it's not some passing thought, but a deep-seated desire to get right with God. Do not think that He is indifferent to your cries. Call on, sinner, because there is none who can help you but Jesus Christ. I remember when the Lord began working upon my heart. You know, I started calling upon the Lord and confessing my sins, seeking His face, reading His Word, attending to the means of grace. But I have to say, heaven was silent to me for many weeks. God gave me no answer, and those weeks, they were absolutely awful. The burden of my sin intensified. The realization of my need of Christ, it grew. Mercy and not merit came to the forefront of my mind because every day I knew I was deserving of God's hail and my sin became ever more heinous to me. And yet I continued to cry until one Monday evening and I called from the very depths of my being in all earnestness and urgency and I knew that night if God did not answer me, if He didn't call out to me that night, I knew, though I lived for many a year after, I knew I would have been abandoned by God. But He spoke. And light shone out of the darkness, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. And my faith, and by my faith I saw the Savior dying on the cross for me. Mercy was extended. And I encourage you, troubled sinner, you're here tonight, this might be your condition. I encourage you with the words of the Lord in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search with me with all your heart. The maladies, the mercy. But thirdly, notice the miracles. These men call upon the only one, the only one who can help them. The master here is referred to as the son of David. Now, why did they say that? Why did they call Jesus of Nazareth the son of David? Did they know that his lineage was from Joseph, who was of the line of David? 
Did they know that his lineage from Mary, who also, according to Luke chapter 3, was of the house of David? Well, I'm not sure they did. But what they did know is that the term son of David was a common Jewish designation for the Messiah. And that's why in the first chapter of this book, in the first verse of Matthew's gospel, he writes, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. That's a messianic affirmation. Christ is the promised one sent to accomplish all that was required for salvation. Christ is the only one who through the grace of His Spirit can illuminate the darkened soul to give the light of the glory of God. By which the sinner beholds the beauty of Christ and also their own wretchedness. Only Christ can do that. He Himself went into the darkness of Calvary in order that He would give unto sinners the power of sight. He is also the only one who can set the bound soul at liberty. For He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Christ sets a repentant sinner free and at liberty in a number of ways. They are free from the punishment of their sin, for He has taken it from them. They are free from the law in relation to their justification, for righteousness is imputed to them. They are also free from the bondage of their will, for Christ gives them a new heart and places within that heart a new principle of life. Christ Himself was bound and led to Calvary so that sinners will be set at liberty. And these men, they got to the right person and they called upon Him. They also got their dumb fellow beggar to the one who is full of mercy. There's many in this world and they're aware of their need of salvation, of a righteousness that is lacking. Their conscience witnesses to that fact. They demonstrate a sense of their guilt and by their pursuit of religious practices to obtain forgiveness. They feel the condemnation that lies upon them and they they know that there's an appeasement that must be made. And again, that's evidenced by the fact that they, they try to build up merit by the things that they do that somehow they'll be able to satisfy, they'll be able to please God. But they never get to Christ. They never call upon Him. Their faith does not rest in Him. And yet, He is the one with whom there is mercy. He is the only one that can do this work in their heart, this miracle to give sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are bound. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 It says that he was made like unto his brethren that he might be a, a merciful and a faithful high priest. We read in Titus chapter 3 in the verse 5 that He saved us according to His mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us He is rich in mercy. Daniel 9 says, To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Lamentations chapter 3, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. He is a God who delights in mercy. He has mercy for healing. He has mercy for saving. He has mercy for the restoration of your spiritual sight and mercy to give you freedom. You need to get to Jesus Christ. 
Notice what the Lord says. And I sees blind men in verse 28. Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. Now because of the context, you might say, Well, that's really a funny question. Surely these men expressed their faith by crying out and following on while, while He gave them the answer. Of course they believed. The purpose of the question was not to deny their faith, nor was it to question whether they believed that He had the power to heal them. He knew they believed that. He asked them this question to hear an affirmation of their faith and their own confession. And that's what the Apostle Paul said, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Lord wants to draw out of you a confession of your faith. He already knows your heart. And Christ is drawing a verbal confession, an affirmation of the faith of these men forth from them. They had faith that the Lord was able to do this. One man said of faith, it is the conducting link between man's emptiness and God's fullness, and herein lies all the value faith has. And while faith is indispensable to salvation, it is not faith that saves, but Christ that saves. Another man put it like this, faith is the bucket let down into the fountain of God's grace without which the man could never draw water of life from the wells of salvation. For the well is deep, and of himself man has nothing to draw with. But faith is a conducting link. Christ did not press these men about their finances, their family, nor their, fee, their fame, but their faith. Salvation comes to the sinner through faith in Christ, penitent faith, and believing repentance, as John Murray put it. Now, to this question, if they believed that Christ was able to do this, the man answered, as we read there in verse 28, Yea, Lord. In the verse 29, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. It's significant that, each, that in each of the four healing miracles concerning blindness, Christ touched every individual. And you know, that was suited to their condition. For though they could not see Christ, they could feel His touch. He could have healed them without a touch. He could have healed them by just speaking the word. He had healed many by just saying the word, but he, he touched every blind individual that he healed. And that touch was a token of his favor and his kindness to them. And you know, though the sinner cannot see Christ with their eyes, for now he is in glory, they can feel his omnipotent touch upon their heart, moving them in conviction and melting them in love. And I wonder this evening, have you felt the touch of the Master upon your soul, sinner? 
That's a token of His love towards you. Is your soul being moved? Do you feel His conviction? Do you feel Him, as it were, pressing you about the need of salvation? Though you see Him not with the natural eye, take that touch upon your soul as a token of His kindness, of His grace to you. Lord, He laid His hands upon these men and immediately their eyes were opened. They had power of sight to perceive the light and that was given to them by the Lord. And you know, that's the miracle that you need wrought in your soul this evening. You just can't see it. Oh, that He would enlighten your understanding and enable you to look by faith to the cross. The last detail is given about the miracle concerning the dumb man. We read in verse 33, it's quite simple. And when the dumb devil was cast out, or when the devil was cast out, the dumb speak. Less detail, but no less powerful. The effect was immediate, and the restoration was absolutely complete. And Christ struck at the cause of the problem. The demon was cast out, and as such the tongue was unloosed. The Savior always deals with the root of the problem in salvation. He doesn't deal with the symptoms and leave the root cause untreated. No, He deals with the sinner's heart. A sinful heart is the cause of praiseless and prayerless lips. But He is the one who gives the new heart out of which comes the new song. We're not told what this dumb man said. We can only surmise, but surely his mouth was filled with thanksgiving and and praise. So too the sinner. Their mouth will be filled with thanksgiving and, and praise when the mighty miracle of salvation is wrought within their heart. It will be said of them as it was said of the apostle Paul, then Saul, behold he prayed the miracle. So we have the maladies, the mercy, the miracles, but finally and very briefly this evening we have the marvel. The marvel, we read in verse 33, that the multitudes marveled saying, it was never so seen in Israel. The same reaction happened when the man with the palsy was healed. Look at verse Number 8 in chapter 9, And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Never before in the history of Israel, never before in the history of the whole world, was such things done as those miracles performed by Christ. His miracles could never be doubted. His enemies didn't even question or doubt the validity of them. They were done in public, and the instantaneous and complete nature of them was undeniable. Though his enemies that attribute the power of the working of those miracles to the devil, as we see in verse 34, they could not deny that they were actual miracles that were wrought before them. The word marvel, it means to wonder at, to admire. 
You know, there is no greater miracle than the salvation of the soul. It's something to be marveled at. It is something that the angels, they wonder at. They desire to look into such things. And what a wonder it is that the triune God who is completely blessed within Himself, self-sufficient and in need of nothing, how wonderful it is that He from all eternity, out of His mere good pleasure and grace, set His love upon a people, a people who would offend Him, who would disobey Him, who would despise Him, who would rebel against Him. And yet the greater marvel of it all is how He would save such a people from a judgment which they deserved. God Himself, God the Son, would step out of eternity into time, become a true man while still remaining God, to be born under the law, to go through life on this earth in abject poverty and endure the most intense suffering of the deepest kind, to be lifted up on a Roman cross, though there was nothing worthy of death in Him. Oh, the wonder of it. Surely we have to stand back and marvel. We have to admire the redemption that is purchased for us by Christ Jesus. And I think sometimes that God's people have lost the wonder of it all, the absolute marvel of it all. There is no greater miracle than the salvation of a soul. There's no greater miracle than you have experienced than that your soul, sinner, would be redeemed from the pit of corruption. Child of God, that is something to marvel at. May God give us a holy awe of what He has done for us, that He would choose us and the marvel of what it cost to redeem us from going down into the pit. But I tell you this, it will be something for us to marvel at tonight, sinner, if you were saved. The Lord would open your eyes and loose your tongue. That is something He alone can do. We would most certainly give Him all the glory. We would stand in awe at Him, for salvation is of the Lord. Call out to Him for mercy tonight, for ye, He will have mercy upon you, and our God will abundantly pardon. He is the one who can open your blinded eyes. He is the one who can set you at liberty. He is the one with whom there is plenteous redemption. He is the one who abounds in mercy. Our sins, though they're many, His mercy is more. And may He work the miracle of salvation tonight in His house. These blinded men, once they could see, as we read there in verse 32, and they went out, and they went out, and behold, they brought a dumb man, to him a dumb man, possessed of a devil. Those blind men, though themselves were healed, they had no power of healing within themselves. But they got this man to Jesus Christ. And I have no power of healing within me, healing for your soul. 
but through the preaching of the word, I have sought to bring you to Jesus Christ. And I trust that he would work that miracle of grace in your heart. Let us bow in prayer this evening. Let's still ourselves before the Lord, and maybe you have been troubled. We always want to make ourselves available as God's servants, and you want to speak to us. There is a minister's room. And maybe you go out the front door, you could go around the side of the building, come in the side door there, go into the minister's room, and I will go in there after and shake hands with those at the door that leave. Now maybe make it a little easier for you. Go in there and wait. You want to speak to us about the things of God. Young person, maybe a little child. The Lord's been dealing with your heart. We're here as God's servants, always. Reverend Greer, myself, I know he's away this evening, but... We're always available, always willing, always wanting to speak to those who are troubled over their sin. And I just extend that invitation to you to even wait there in the minister's room to get the matter settled tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, come before thee and we give thee thanks. For the Lord Jesus, we thank thee, Lord, for what we read off here in this account. And Lord, it may be that you have been dealing with sinners here for weeks, for months. They've been troubled. They've been doing all the things that we know we ought to do and should do. They've been crying out and calling out, maybe reading the word again, and yet heaven has shut up to them. You're silent. Lord, I pray that you would draw them, lead them on, deepen that sense of their need for a Savior and the need of mercy. May it not be a passing fad or fade. Oh God, but I pray that thou would work and in the darkness speak to their soul. Speak to them through the Word and show them the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that Thou would help Thy dear people in the week that lies before us. We pray for the help to aid the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Without Thee, we can do nothing. And we want to be faithful witnesses. We want to be soul winners. We want to lead others to Jesus Christ and engage in conversation with them. We pray that thou would give us as thy people divine appointments and help us to share the message of the one who can open the blinded eyes and set the soul at glorious liberty. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be the portion of thy people this night and forevermore till we all meet around the feet of the Lord Jesus in the land that is fairer than day. Do us good, bless thy word, may it live on in our hearts. We pray this all in the Savior's lovely and his precious name. Amen.